And I want to wrap up this time by looking at this prayer that Jesus prayed and just reading it again like we did last week. And I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. But as we wrap up our prayer time, it's good to hop into this prayer of Jesus. This was his prayer for all of us. Surely before he went to the cross uh, in John 17, and uh, you can turn in your Bibles to that, or you can also hop on the the Bible app and find it there. Um, Everything is, all the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning are are there. But this is uh, what Jesus prayed. And let's just use these words. Let's listen to these words in this prayer as we wrap up up our prayer time and hop into uh, looking at the word. John 17, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so He can give you glory back to you. For you have, been, for you have given Him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given Him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought you glory here on earth, by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those that you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name that you gave me. I guarded them so that no one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm now sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying, not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them as much as you have loved me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father. The world does not know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Powerful prayer every time I read it. And I think of a a number of of things. 
You know, first of all, like the thing that stood out to me this week, and, and this has this got to be the, the prayer of our heart, the cry of our heart. But Jesus, as he began this prayer, he just was crying out, like, Father, I brought you glory by doing everything that you told me to do. Jesus was all about bringing glory to the Father. It wasn't about him. It was all about revealing the Father, pointing people to the Father. And he was living his life completely in surrender and submission to the Father. And, and earlier in John, he says, I'm only doing what I, what I see you doing, what you tell me to do. And, and what a posture that we should be taking every day of our lives. Not living for ourselves, but living for the glory of God. Living uh, in obedience to the ways that he has called us to live so that people don't see us, but that people see Jesus. And are we living that way every single day, just living this lifestyle of worship where out of us is, is coming such a deep desire to bring glory and honor to the Father? I mean, that we have to check ourselves every, every, every day. Are we living for ourselves? Are we living for this life? Or are we pointing people to Jesus? I also think about um, what he says in here and how he prays. And he, he says, Father, just as, as you sent me, now I'm sending them into the world. This is another piece of our identity. We are sent people. We are sent by Jesus and, and filled with the power of the Spirit to go out. And, and just as the Father sent the Son, we are sent to the world to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. That is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And, and we have to see ourselves that way as saying, okay, we're sent to proclaim the gospel to people who desperately need to know Jesus. I think of all the problems in the world and all the, the concerns and all the things that we see on the, the news and all the things that we see in life. And not to be simplistic, but I, I will be, but the only answer is Jesus. The only answer to these world's problems is Jesus. It is to ha have people have an encounter with Jesus that would transform their life forever. And we are the ones who are sent to be that spokesperson to proclaim Jesus. Are we living our lives with that as a priority? Or are we trying to think of so many different solutions to the world's problem when God has given us the solution and his name is Jesus? And then I think of the last one, and really the big theme over the last, or these two past weeks, and this prayer that Jesus prayed for us, and I'm always humbled by the fact that Jesus was praying for us uh, here in John 17. But he prays that, that we would be one, that we would be so united and we would be one just as the Father and the Son are one. And you read that in there. He says, like, I want them to be united, uh, you and I, like, one, so that, and, and them and us. Like, there's this, there's perfect, like, this picture of this perfect connection between us and with Jesus and the Father. And just as I shared last week, I shared, like, this is Jesus' prayer. And so we know that the enemy wants to, uh, to, to destroy that, to go against that. And last week, we talked about just all the division that exists in the church. And I shared last week that Francis Chan has, has shared that, that he believes that we've inherited a, a culture of divorce, a culture of division within the church. And last week, I put up those two, a couple of different slides, and we walked through uh, the, the differences, the ways that people divide uh, in the body of Christ. And it grieves me because as I look at that list and I look at the next slide, I, I know that there's Bible verses for each one of those words up on the screen. And so you look at the body of Christ, and, and Jesus prayed for this oneness, oneness, but so often we're divided, and we divide over biblical things. And it just grieves our hearts, I know. I know it grieves the Lord's heart. And last week I left you with this question, and I wonder how many of us really like, sat with this question. 
And the question is, where have you contributed to a culture of division within the church? Where have you contributed? And I hope and I pray that you took some time with that because it's easy to say, well, this person's doing that and this person's doing that. Like, where have we, where have you contributed to that culture of division? Maybe within the body of Christ. And I'm not just talking restoration. I'm talking the body of Christ. I'm talking relationships, family. Where have you contributed to a culture of division? I was talking to a friend of mine, a friend that some of you guys know. His name's Nick. Uh, Nick is uh, one of the youth pastors over at Central Wesleyan, and I, I think the world of Nick. He's a, a great young man, uh, gifted. Um, if you've met Nick, Nick can be uh, very loud. Um, I've seen him sing songs that like cracked me up, and he's just a, a wonderful personality, but he's also an introvert and a deep thinker. And he, him and I were walking the other day, and he uh, said this to me, and I thought this was very interesting. And he, he said, uh, sometimes he often thinks about Jesus. And he says, I wonder if Jesus is watching all that is going on. And he's thinking, yep, this is exactly what I had in mind. He said that, and, and I texted him back, and I, I texted him uh, a little while later, and I said, hey, repeat that to me. And he, and he shared it in a text message, and it really hit me. Like, I wonder if Jesus is watching all that's going on and thinking, like, and even after his prayer, like, yep, this is exactly what I have in mind. Yeah, I think and I often believe that there's so much more for us as the body of Christ. So much more for us to step into. And I, I think about that list and I think about passages in, in Scripture. And, and one that has come up to me uh, lately is Matthew 25. And it's the parable of uh, the story of uh, the, the ten virgins waiting for the groom, uh, the bridegroom in uh, Matthew 25. And what hit me in that uh, passage is who were the wise ones? The wise ones were the ones uh, waiting for the bridegroom to return. They were the ones with uh, the lamp and enough oil in the lamp, oil for the lamp. And it hit me that, that here are two things. What does the lamp uh, point to in, in Scripture? What is the lamp? Like we, we read in Psalm, 1, Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Like I think about the lamp being the word and I think about the, the oil being representative of the Holy Spirit and God's presence. And it hit me that those who are wise, those who are ready for the Lord's return, are going to be those who are, who are holding both, both the Word and the Holy Spirit, uh, having both in, in not intention of one another, but, but, but um, holding both and being ready for the Lord's return. Just think of us as a body. We, we have to, like as I think about that list, we have to stop finding ourselves in, in one of the two camps and needing that we re, we, realizing that we need all of those. We need both. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Word. We need it all together. This week I was thinking about the question of what prevents oneness in the church, in the body of Christ. What prevents oneness? And as I look around, there's a number of, uh, this was actually shared by some people, there's a number of people that are looking to build their own kingdom. And there's a number of, of people that are finding themselves in competition with others in the body of Christ. And competing against one another instead of encouraging and supporting one another. And it, it's a long way from, where, uh, from what we see in Scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul is talking to a church that was very divided. 
Uh, we see in the early part of 1 Corinthians that Paul's uh, calling people out. and saying, you say, I follow Paul, I Paul, I follow Paulus. Like, they were very divided, and he goes, is Christ divided? He's like, absolutely not. And you go a little bit further in 1 Corinthians, and, and you see that as they were taking communion, they were, there was even division amongst communion, because there were some that were eating communion before others, and there was a, a separation between the rich and the poor. And Paul is just grieved over this church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he paints a picture, frankly, of what church should be. And in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 it says this, the human body has many parts. And so he's using the, the picture of a body. He says, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we will all share the same spirit. You know, the thing that Paul highlights here is, is as the followers of Jesus, we are deeply connected. You know, I don't know if we often realize this, like how connected we are with other followers of Jesus. We think it's just me and Jesus. We live in a very individualistic nation. Like, it's just me, it's my rights, it's what I can do, and we think, like, it's me and Jesus. But here, Scripture paints a completely different picture that, that we are deeply connected with followers of Jesus. Do you realize how connected you are with one another? That we are part of the same body. That all throughout Scripture, there is this picture that is put out there of, of followers of Jesus being one. Like, even in Matthew 6, Jesus taught us to pray this way. He taught us to pray, like, not my father. How did he teach us to pray? our Father. Like, we're not individuals. And, and in, in Galatians 3, speaking to a community that was talking about Jews and Gentiles and, and dividing over different things, this is what Paul says. He says, all of us who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And then to those in Ephesus, he wrote this, he said, live a life worthy of your calling, Calling, always be humble, be gentle, be patient with one another, making allowance for each, other, each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is, listen to this, one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. And then just before in Ephesians 3, he said he's united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us all. Oneness. You see that all throughout Scripture we're called, we're one body. And that's where it grieves me with this division. I just, I think of a human body and I think of, of my body like what if all of a sudden I'm just cutting off my arm? Or if I'm just slapping my face silly? You're like, what is wrong with you? You'd be like, you have a problem, or if I'm sawing off a leg or something like that. But that's what happens in the body of Christ all the time. We beat one another up. And I look at this, and I'm like, what are we doing? We're one body. We're one. We're connected. You don't realize how connected your body is until you go to a chiropractor or whatever, and they're like, you're like, my back hurts, and they're fixing your earlobe or something. And they're like, this is connected this way. Well, the same is true with the body of Christ. We are connected? Do you see yourself as deeply connected with other Christians and the things that you do affects others? And frankly, the things that others do affect you. We're one body, Paul says. We're connected. But then he goes on and he says this. Yes, in verse 14, the body has many different parts, not just one part. 
If the foot says, I am not a part of that body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I'm not an eye, wouldn't that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? He goes on with this and he says, we're one body, we're deeply connected, but we're different. We're diverse. Like I look at all of you and, and all of you are, are different. You have different passions and different desires and different uh, interests. Like next week, we're going to look at uh, all of these different passions that people have and, and it's going to be beautiful. You know, but that's the thing that we have to realize is we're connected, but we're very different than one another. Like this became uh, really real to me early on in marriage. Cece and I were a part of a small group and uh, every Thursday night we would go to this person's house and we'd talk about marriage and I wanted to grow in our marriage, and we were going through the book, Love and Respect. And in that book, Love and Respect, the author gets to a point, and uh, he shared something that was deeply profound for me. Uh, he's talking about arguments between husbands and wives, and, and he said something along, the lines, along these lines. He says, as you're arguing with your spouse, you're looking through your lens, and you think, like, they're wrong. And, but you're looking at it through your own eyes. He says, no, your, your, your spouse... You might be arguing with one another, but you have to realize they're different. It's not that what they're doing is wrong. They're just doing it differently than you are. And that really hit me. Our first argument was over mac and cheese, how to make mac and cheese. I'm right. You, follow, you don't follow the instructions. You just throw it all in and, and out comes mac and cheese. And CC was like, no, you have to follow the exact instructions. One is not right and the other is wrong. It's just different approaches to making mac and cheese. Like in the body of Christ, we have to realize that we're different. We do different things and we do things differently than one another. And if it's not sin, that's okay. Like we approach things differently. But often what I've found in the body of Christ is we're critical of one another when somebody does something different, when someone prays different, when someone is involved in, in something different than they are. There's a criticism that rises up. And instead of celebrating these differences and celebrating all that God is doing, we like to criticize one another. For example, I have always found myself around younger people. I love seeing the faith grow up in younger people. I love seeing younger people passionate for Jesus. I think of 1 Timothy 4, and it's up on the screen. This is a charge that, that Paul gave to Timothy, and he said this. He said, don't let, let anyone look down on you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and how you live and your love, your faith, and your purity. Like that was his charge to Timothy. He says, be an example for all believers. And I love that because today we are seeing this lived out. We are seeing a, a generation rise up that is in love with Jesus. We're seeing them go to their, their neighborhoods with the gospel. It says that Gen Z, like 80% of them will share their faith with somebody uh, this year. Whereas older generations may share their faith once uh, in their lifetime. Like we're seeing a generation, God raise up a generation that is passionate, that is being an example to all of us in, in these areas. But so often what I hear amongst people my age is criticism towards the younger generation. And it often comes out, frankly, in the songs that they sing. Why are they singing that song over and over and over again? Why are they living this way? Why are they doing that? And it, go, it reminds me of a time when I was younger. And I heard people then say the same thing about me. Why are you singing You Are My All in All over and over and over again? I don't like that song. 
generation after generation, it just seems that the older has criticized the younger because they're different. And it grieves me. I've always had younger people in my life because I know that my heart can get jaded. I can lose sight of, of these examples that they're living in. I can, I can lose faith because life tends to, to throw curveballs your way. I need to be reminded. I need to have my faith stirred up. I need to have things stirred up in my heart. That's why I've always surrounded, my, surrounded my, myself with younger people who will do that. Now, what's important or what to note is I'm not going, no offense, hopefully, I'm not going to these younger people for wisdom, for life decisions. I'm going to an older group. People we like to criticize within the body of Christ. Even in Ephesians 4, after Paul talks about you know, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, he says Jesus has given to the body, to the church, people with many different gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. We look at all of those different offices, and, and those are, are very different people. But we like to say, why don't the evangelists, why don't they, like, why don't they teach a little bit more? Why is their message always the gospel? Because they're evangelists. These teachers, why do they always go into such depth? Because they're teachers. Why are the prophets all of a sudden just getting up and saying something and we're like, I don't know what you're saying, but there's something there because they're prophets. We like to criticize in the body of Christ. We are different and we should celebrate that. And lastly, Paul says this. He goes, our bodies have many different parts in verse 18. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. I love that section. Verse 18 specifically, our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. It grieves me when I hear people, myself included, wish that they were somebody else. But when they look at the body of Christ and they're like, I wish I was like Cece. I wish I was like Dan. I wish I was like Shane. Like when they look and they compare their lives, because I think about this verse, it says, God has placed you in the body of Christ in the exact spot that he wants you. Stop trying to be someone else. God made you exactly how he made you. He's given you the gifts and the personality that he wants you to have so that you fit in the body of Christ in such a powerful way so that all of these different parts are being used for the glory of Jesus. It grieves me when people are like, oh, I'm not that gifted. I can't do this or that. I'm like God has given you the exact gifts. I think of Mike Horn. I'm going to call him out. Where's Mike? He's back there. Like, you know, he has been so faithful walking with young people for over 30 years. Like middle school and high school students faithfully discipling uh, younger, young, young people. You know, that is such a gift in the body of Christ. Others, they're like, hey, what's you know, this thing that I'm going to jump into? Boom, I'm going to do this for you know, a year or whatever and then go on to the next thing. That is a gift to the body of Christ. We have to stop comparing ourselves to one another and celebrate and realize that God has placed us in the body of Christ in the exact spot that he wants us to be. So I wrap up. I want to share, I just want to read two verses and share two brief stories. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3, because when it comes to the body of Christ in this conversation about unity, I think this verse should provoke in us a healthy sense of fear. Paul is talking to this church that is deeply divided. 
And he says this, don't you realize, verse 16, that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. Like that, he's talking about the church. Don't you all realize that you are the temple? Like God used to reside in a temple, like in a, in a brick and mortar temple, but he says, no, now you are all the temple and the Holy Spirit resides in you and it's all of us together. And then this next verse, verse 17, this should provoke the fear in us, healthy sense of fear. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We have to be very careful about how we talk about one God takes his temple, God takes his people extremely seriously. He cares about his people, and when we speak ill will about one another, we have to look at this verse and say, God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. We have to wrestle with that and have a healthy sense of fear. So how should we approach one another? And I'm just going to read Romans 12. Starting at verses, verse 4. This is how we're to approach one another. Paul says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If, you are, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. What Paul is saying here is, whatever your gift is, do it. Live it out. Don't shrink back. And then he says this, don't just to pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I love how the ESV puts this. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor of each other. That's how we're to live. We're to honor one another, celebrate the gifts that people have, but encourage people to step fully into those gifts. What would happen if we were united? What could happen? Jesus said this, I want you to be one. I pray that you be one so that the world will know Jesus. I think about what has happened recently in San Francisco, and I don't know if you've heard the story. Piper, if you want to put a picture of that, like a little picture, you got little bay, bay picture, picture of the bay. There you go. It's a logo for a group of churches in San Francisco. Call themselves Pray the Bay. 30 churches have come together just to seek the Lord together. And back in February, February 2 and 3, they decided to hold a prayer conference where they all came together and did this together and they trained people up in prayer. But then after the conference, one of the churches had a Sunday gathering just like this. And they went and they, they did their Sunday morning. But the problem was that worship just never stopped. Worship kept going into the afternoon, into the evening, to the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. It went on for 10 days. 
Churches heard about this, that worship at this one other uh, church wasn't stopping. And so they all came together and they're like, well, their worship leaders are getting tired. And so we'll help out. We'll bring other people in and we'll support this. And for 10 days, they worship nonstop. Powerful. Out in San Francisco, you didn't hear about this. Nonstop worship. At the end of 10 days, they all came together and they said, you know what? It just seems like the Lord is wanting this to, to come to an end. Um, let's wrap this up. Let's conclude this move by having a, a service where we invite people from the city to come on in, and uh, we're going to share the gospel. We're going to share the gospel, and we're going to pray for people. And that's exactly what they did. They went out into the streets, and they invited people in, and they put it all over social media, and uh, they had a big gathering at the end of 10 days. 30 churches coming together to support this one uh, move. And there they saw numerous people healed, numerous people delivered, and most importantly, many, many, many people coming to faith in Jesus. That's a picture of what could happen. And I feel like we as a body of Christ in this area, we're just limping along, kind of doing our own thing when God wants to do so much more. I want to invite us into something this week. And over the last year and a half, there have been a group of churches in this area that have been coming together every Wednesday at 11 and just to pray. What started as two people coming together to pray has grown to now over 20. 25. And there's some in this room that have joined that uh, time of prayer. It's been powerful. And there's a stirring in this area, longing in this area for the church to be more than what it has been. For people to come together, for like-minded people to come together to lift up the name of Jesus. Well, this week, one of the, the churches that is a part of this, Calvary CRC off a of beeline by Kentucky Fried Chicken on the north side of Holland, is having this week uh, a week of 24-7 prayer. They have a prayer room over there. It starts uh, tonight or today, um, goes till next Sunday. And there's time slots that you can uh, sign out and, and be in that prayer room. I'm going on Wednesday night, um, invite men to come with me after Bible study. And this is part of a 52-week nonstop prayer movement over the country. It's going from church to church to church. And this, just this week, Calvary CRC is picking up the baton and praying 24-7. They've invited us and others into that. And so I encourage you this week, if you want to be a part of that, hit me up. I'll, I'll share with you the link, and it's even on our website. You can go and you can sign up to go to the prayer room. But next Sunday night, next Sunday night at 6.30, they're going to wrap up that time, that week, with just a time of worship over at Calvary CRC off of Beeline. And we were supposed to have a worship gathering that Wednesday, the following Wednesday, but we decided, you know what, we're going to move that to Sunday night, and we're going to join them in this. We're going to come together and worship. So I encourage all of us to come together and worship next Sunday night over there. And just see what the Lord wants to do as many streams are coming together and seeking the heart of the Lord together. So let's wrap up. Um, I want to close with just, let's sing uh, Great I Am. So I want to invite the worship team to come forward. But here's where I want us to leave, leave us at the end of these two weeks, talking about unity. Where have you contributed to a culture of division? But this morning, I want to ask you a different question. Where are you contributing to a culture of unity? Because I believe that the Lord wants to turn that around. Where have you contributed to a culture of unity? Where are you stepping in and using your gifts? And are you using your gifts to the fullness what the Lord has, what the Lord has created you to be? Are you using your gifts in the body of Christ? If not, why not? Step up and, and serve. And use your gifts fully like the Lord wants you to use them. 
I want you to stand. And as you think about those questions, I really want us to cry out. Using this song just to cry out that we want to see Jesus. We want to see the great I am. We want to see a move of God in this community. We want to see the lost saved. We want to see those who are sick healed. We want to see followers of Jesus truly being one. Why? So that the world will see Jesus. And as we pray, I also get the sense that there are some in this room look at themselves and just say, I don't have much to offer the body of Christ. I would love to pray with you, and I know there's others that would love to pray with you if you feel that way. And don't be ashamed for coming forward if you're feeling that way. Um, You're just struggling with like, I don't have much to offer. I would love to pray with you and for you. Let's sing this song together.